This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. Probably last Sunday was the biggest Easter that we have ever experienced. Would you agree with me? Uh, it was... It was, it was pretty amazing. Um, we know of at least one who gave me a card and said, today I accept Christ as my Savior. We know about that. And listen, if that's all that happened last Sunday, if he was the only one here, and that's all that happened last Sunday, it was worth all the effort. Um, so, and, and let me just say to, to our church partners, maybe you are the one that helped him find a place to park his car. Maybe you smiled and shook his hand as he walked to the building and you opened the door for him and greeted him. Maybe you poured that guy a cup of coffee. Maybe you helped him feel comfortable letting his kids go to Calabunga Cove. And maybe you showed him a seat when the room was packed out. You found him a place to sit. And maybe you sang a song, played a song that grabbed his heart. But the Bible says that all of heaven threw a party at the end of that message when he said yes to Jesus. All of heaven, the angels rejoiced, the scriptures tell us. And that's why, church, that's why we do what we do, period. That's why we do what we do. And I'll explain more. We're gonna learn more about that in the coming weeks with this new series. Uh, Bernie did some, you know, Bernie's our numbers guy. Bernie's all about the numbers. And numbers are good. I went through a phase in my life early in my ministry when I just kind of, I would get angry when, when the pastors that I worked for um, would, would talk about how many people were in church every Sunday and how many numbers and, you know, what was the number, what they were this year compared to last year. And numbers, numbers, numbers. And I thought, man, it's not about the numbers. But I was young and immature and I didn't realize something. Every number represents a soul. That's why we talk about that sometimes, because every number represents a soul, and every soul needs Jesus, and not every soul that comes in this building knows him already, and we want to be able to share him. But Bernie ran some numbers, and uh, he said, he came up with this. He said, we had 966 people, men, women, youth, and children, hear the gospel and worship with us last weekend in four gatherings. It's almost 1,000 people. It's okay to clap. You know, God doesn't mind. They're still celebrating in heaven from last Sunday. That included our Good Friday communion. It included a sunrise service that we do in both Sunday morning gatherings in here. At 9 o'clock, there were 318 in this room. Don't tell the fire marshal. Because <laughs> we only have 300 chairs, so we had to sit up some extra chairs somewhere. In Calabunga Cove, there were 84 at, uh, at nine o'clock and, and, uh, and uh, another 40 at 11. And we had 298 in here at 11 o'clock. Um, it's pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, we don't talk about, by the way, sunrise service. Nobody told me about a sunrise service, exactly. We don't talk about the sunrise service and, and there's a couple reasons why. Let me explain that to you so that next year when you hear about sunrise service and you haven't been invited, you don't get your Your shorts in a wad. Uh, I thought, should I really say that? But the guys all get it, you know. 
Uh, there is where we have that sunrise service. There's limited space. It's not like we, we don't go out on the beach where we can have 10,000 and feed them fishes and loaves, right? We, there's limited space there, and it gets filled up with people. Please hear this. It fills up. The place is packed out with people who would not come here on Sunday morning, all right? So we're reaching a, a whole group of people on Easter sunrise service that unless they put their faith and trust in Christ and they say, I want to find out more, they're not coming here, but they'll go there. And so we preach the gospel to them there. And, and, and the place packs out. This is the fourth year we've done it. The place packs out. Um, uh, there were 140 people there um, gathered around in and around a bar. We have the service in a bar. I th- <laughs> Redeem the bar, all right? It was built for other purposes, and we're saying on Easter Sunday morning, we're claiming it for Jesus. And so um, 140 people there uh, on the, on, uh, in the bar and, and out around it, uh, and they heard the gospel. Andy shared it this, this year. And you might not know this, but the bar manager was there, and, uh, and he comes, he's been there the last couple of years, and he did some video. He shot some video, and the part that he shot was Andy explaining John 3.16. I don't know that he understood the power of that verse, but he shot that video, and then he put that video up on the on their the, the peers Facebook page. And I haven't looked since Monday, but Monday morning, that video that we say we had 966 and we had 140, 5,100 people had seen that video, over 5,000. That's something to get excited about. If you want to get excited. That's, that blows my mind. And that's not something we planned. We didn't even do it. They did it. That's what's awesome. Uh, it was a huge day. Easily, I think, our biggest day ever as a church. But here's the reality. Let's, let's, well, man, I love hearing about talking about, it was Easter. It's supposed to be big, isn't it? Well, kind of wonder why isn't every Sunday like that? But it was Easter. It's supposed to be a big deal. It's the day when Jesus rose from the dead, which was the greatest event in history. And how do you top that? And the answer is, maybe you don't. But the resurrection wasn't the end of a great life and a great story. It wasn't like Jesus then resurrected and and then he ascended up to heaven and that was it. It's over. That's not how the story played out. That wasn't the purpose. He left those 11 disciples and a handful of others with an unbelievable task ahead. And the task was to take the gospel to every corner of the world and let everyone know about Jesus, about the gospel. Remember what the gospel is? We talked about it last Sunday. His death, his burial, his resurrection. Let everybody know about the gospel. And to accomplish that, to let the whole world know God had a plan. God just has one plan. And so in this series that we begin today, which will take us through the month of April, and I think into the first week in in May, we're calling it Plan A. This is God's Plan A. Now, you probably know that on Easter morning, when Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples were in hiding. They're up in a room hiding out. Afraid 
They were afraid of the Jewish authorities. They were afraid of the Romans. And not only were they fearful for their lives, they were also crushed because their Lord, they'd seen him die on a cross. He was killed. And they were thinking, these guys, it must be all over. We know that because Peter said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going back up to Galilee. I'm going back to being a fisherman. I'm going to go back to being what I used to be before I met Jesus. Have you ever thought that kind of thing yourself? Probably some of us have. But in those post-resurrection days, several things happened. Jesus made numerous appearances to bolster their confidence. He showed up with them a number of different times. Why? To, to give them confidence. It's not all over. I'm still alive. He met with the women at the tomb. He showed up in the room in Jerusalem where the disciples were hiding. He met two disciples who were walking on the road to a town called Emmaus, and he, and he walked with them for a while and chatted with them for a while. And they didn't have a clue who they were talking to until he took off his hoodie and they recognized his voice. He met with them up in, in Galilee on a mountain. He met with them on the shore of Galilee when they were out fishing. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 5-7, that follows that passage last week where we were about the gospel. Paul continues, and he says, And he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is the Jewish name for Peter. That was his name. He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers. Over 500 people. At one time, you know, a lot of people that want to cast doubt on the resurrected Christ will say, you know, there's no way that he could have come back from the dead. And, and these appearances that the Bible talks about, well, they're really nothing more than than hallucinations. People, you know, sometimes you can imagine you see things. It was their imagination. They were hallucinating. And of course, the answer comes back if you're a good apologist, and I hope that you as a Christian are, I hope that you're ready to give a defense of the gospel whenever anybody asks you a question. How come you believe? How do 500 people have the same hallucination? Impossible. So he appeared to over 500 at one time, Paul writes, most of whom remain to the present. Why is that important? And so if you don't believe me, Paul says, you can go find them and ask them, did you see Jesus after the resurrection? There's a whole bunch of people. He said most of them are still alive and could give testimony. But some, he says, have fallen asleep. Some have died. And then he appeared to James, his half-brother, who wrote the book of James. It's toward the back of your New Testament. He appeared to James and then to all the apostles. So lots of appearances. Well, seeing Jesus alive, for example, out in the boat fishing, and there's Jesus on the shore. You know the story. And then Peter looked, and he, and he heard Jesus call to him. Peter looks, and he looks really closely, and he realizes who it's the master. And Peter doesn't wait for the boat to come in the shore. He just dives in and swims in. And Jesus has fixed them um, a breakfast there on the beach, and they eat with Jesus and talk with Jesus. That gave them confidence. He really is alive. I mean, he's not a ghost. He's eating fish. But the appearances over the next few days after Easter were more than morale builders. Jesus gave them, in this period of time, from when he resurrected and began to appear to them until Acts chapter 1, when he ascended into heaven, he gave them some important instructions. And to Peter, 
He gave grace, did he not? They were entrusted with a number of things as Jesus talked to them. He entrusted them, first of all, with a great purpose. He told Peter, remember when his conversation with Peter, he pulled Peter aside and asked Peter those questions. Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times. And and, and you're smart enough to figure out why, because Peter had denied him three times. So three times Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Really? Do you love me? And Peter would say, you know I love you, Lord. Yes, I love you, Lord. And Jesus would respond to him then, Peter, here's your purpose. Feed my sheep. Peter would be, what was Jesus telling Peter? Peter, you're going to be my primary spokesman for the apostles. You're going to serve for a while as the lead pastor in Jerusalem until I take you out of Jerusalem and take you to other places in the world. I want you to feed my sheep. And it was important for Peter to hear that from Jesus three times. Very important. Yet Christ showed Peter. You know, Jesus could... Put myself in that place, Jesus' place. Not that I could ever be worthy of that, but and you put yourself there. Somebody denies you three times. Somebody curses and swears, I don't know you. Somebody who you have believed for, let you, who has let you believe for the last three years, I'm one of your best friends. Someone who has said, I'll go with you wherever. And this person denies you three times, Would you show him grace afterwards? Or would you say, you know what? I don't need you. And Peter felt like he wasn't needed. And Jesus showed him great grace, giving Peter the privilege of preaching the first sermon of the church on the day at Pentecost. And Peter became a great missionary. Peter wrote two New Testament books. Jesus said to Peter, Pastor Peter, Feed my sheep. Great purpose. Then he gave them a great commission. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus, as he's talking to these disciples, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, remember, I am always with you to the end of the age. To these 11 men at the time, he said, I want you, 11 guys, to make disciples of all the nations. Now, let's not kid ourselves. These were Galileans for the most part, Judeans, some of them, who had never been out of their part of the world. Uh, They did not have anything today like we have to tell them where other nations were in the world. They know they knew about the Romans, but the Roman nation surrounded them. They were part of the Roman nation, were they not? In the days of the Roman Empire, they might have heard stories about the lands to the east, but they had no clue in the year 30 AD or so. By the way, I like to use AD and BC I heard somebody, a child recently had something. Oh, I know, I was at a thing at school and and the child had a a poster and it said BCE, you know, the year BCE, you know. We used to say BC in the old days, which meant what? Before Christ. Now it's before the common era, taking Jesus out of it, you know. 
People don't realize history is about Jesus before and after. So I like to use A.D. uh, in the year of our Lord. So here they are 30 years or so A.D., and they don't know. Columbus hasn't come up yet. You know, Magellan hasn't sailed around the world. There's no Google. There's no satellite. There's no TV. There's no nothing. They don't know how big this task is before them to take the gospel to every nation. They don't have a clue. But here's what they do have a clue of. Even as small as they thought the world might be, how in the world can we do that? We don't even have passports. You know, we've never been out of Judea. We've never been out of Gath. How do we do that? I'm sure they were scratching their heads and wondering. If not aloud, they're wondering that silently. So Jesus gave them, after this great commission, he gave them a great strategy. He said, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria. They knew Jerusalem, and they knew Judea, and they know Samaria. They've been to those places and to the ends of the earth. Now, once again, as far as they knew, the end of the earth to their to their west, I'm trying to get my directions right here, uh, I'm trying to place myself where they were. To their west, the ends of the earth was the shore of the, sea, of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, they probably had heard, although they knew the story of Jonah and knew that Jonah sailed way out there somewhere. To the ends of the earth, it's a simple strategy. You start here in Jerusalem and you spread out until it's done. Jesus said, and that's my strategy. Got it, guys? You start here, you spread it out until all the world is heard. Simple, isn't it? Great strategy. Easy, right? And again, he's talking to 11 men and a few more followers. Get her done. That's what Jesus said to them. But he let the disciples in on that plan at an earlier time, an earlier day. And I don't think when he said this, I really don't believe they got it at that time, but they would. It would make sense to them. He he had his 12 apostles, disciples around him one day, and he was curious and wanted to hear what they'd been hearing. They'd been out and about in the community listening to people talk. And he said, who do people say that I am? Who are people guessing that I am? And you know, some say you're this prophet and some say you're that prophet. Some say you're this prophet, come back from the dead. John the Baptist, who? And, and, well, and he says, okay, if that's what the populace is saying, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in answer to Jesus' question, said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter was saying, I've got this figured out. You're the Messiah. You're God's son. And in response to that, Jesus said back to Peter, you're right, Peter, and upon this rock. Now, he wasn't saying upon you because he used a different word. He had already told him, your, your name is Peter, which means rock. The word that he used, the Greek word was a word that means pebble. Right? Little pebbles, by the way, can do great things, can they not? I found that out the other day as I was traveling, and a little pebble from the back of a truck in front of me flew up and hit my windshield. And tomorrow it's Safe Light <laughs> coming to see me. 
Little pebbles can do great things. But he wasn't saying upon you, Peter, upon this little pebble. He was saying upon this rock, and the word that he used for rock in this phrase meant a boulder, a foundation stone. Upon this rock, he said, I will build my church. Now, here's the problem with what Jesus just said. You're there, you're one of the 12. Let's just hope you're not Judas, all right? You're one of the 12, and Jesus says, I will build my church. And they all looked at each other and said, have you heard that word before? He's never said that word before. What is church? They didn't know what church was. Why? There wasn't one yet. They had never seen one. They had never experienced one. It wasn't like, you know, in, in the Bible Belt where on every other corner there's a Baptist church. There were no churches. And he said, you're right, Peter. Good job, Peter. And I'm going to build my church upon that statement. What is church? Then we find the apostles with some more disciples meeting together and praying and waiting after Jesus ascended. So he went back up to heaven. They watched him go up into the clouds and they're staring and their tears are coming down their eyes. He's He's gone. And the angel says, you're wasting time, fellas. Why are you standing here staring up in the clouds? You're wasting time. I'm reading between the lines there. You're wasting time. This same Jesus that you just saw disappear into the clouds, he's going to come back the same way one day. Now, get busy. you got things to do. And so they met with these other folks and began to pray. Do what Jesus told them to do. Wait in Jerusalem. And so there were, we read in Acts chapter 1, about 120, waiting in the city of Jerusalem, waiting for the next thing to happen. And he had told them what that would be in Acts 1.8 when he gave them that strategy. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and give you power. You know what, church? Let, let, me, let me just... This just entered my mind because, I mean, we're, Nag said church, we're a relatively small church. When it comes to comparison of churches in this world, we're a fairly small church, about 200 of us in Nag said church. And a lot of people think, well, we're just a little church, what, we, what can we do? Man, is that the wrong question to ask? Because it doesn't matter if we're a little church or a big church. That's not the issue. What matters is, is the power of the Holy Spirit at work among us. Because that's something the world can't contend with. That's something the devil can't stop. That's why Jesus said, I'll build my church. And then he said, in the gates of hell, can't prevail against it. Nothing can stop my church. A new chapter then began with a great power. That's the next point. A great power, Acts chapter 2 Verses 1 through 4. Let me read them for you. When the day of Pentecost, I, I know there are people that they read Acts chapter 2 and they think in their minds this was a one-time thing, Pentecost. It was a one-time thing in some regards that the Holy Spirit came down. He came down and he hasn't left. He stayed. But Pentecost is something, the day, it's a festival, it's a holiday that happens every year in the Jewish calendar. 50 days after, what, after our understanding of Easter on that Sunday. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And the all, he tells us earlier, who that all is, 120 
or so. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. Now it doesn't say there was a wind. It says there was what? A sound. And we know what the sound of a violent rushing wind sounds like here in the Outer Banks, don't we? Especially around August, September, October. We know, and we know what, and, that, and when we hear that sound, we're thinking, Lord, please don't bring those trees down on my house, you know. It can be a fearful sound. I think especially it can be a fearful sound if there's a sound of a rushing mighty wind, but you don't feel any breeze. What is that? There was a sound. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. This is something they saw. So everybody had, a, everybody had a candle coming up out of their head kind of a deal. There were flames of fire that rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. And they began to speak in these languages. These were known languages of the countries of the nations around them because people were there gathered in Jerusalem from all these nations that had come for Pentecost and people from Africa and from, from Asia Minor and from the Eastern countries. And they were hearing their own languages. You go on and read the story and they said, hey, we're hearing people talk in our home tongue, in our home language. Well, how did that happen? These are Galileans. Where'd you guys learn that? Did they teach that in high school? You know, did you take you know, Carthaginian 1 and 2 or something like that? No, they didn't. It was a supernatural ability to speak these languages to do what? To get the attention of those in the streets. That got their attention. If you've ever been to a foreign country where they speak another language, have you ever done that? And you're in a place and, and you know, you look around and you know this English is not their language, but you walk, maybe you're walking in a crowded area in a town and you hear somebody speaking English immediately. You're attracted to that person, that group, whatever, whoever it might be, because they're speaking your language. Well, they were speaking their languages and got their attention. Jesus had promised them in John chapter 14 when he left them, that when he would leave them, another one like him, he said, would come and indwell them, enabling them to do, as Jesus said, even greater things than I have done. And that one who arrived on the day of Pentecost was the Holy Spirit. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, those 120 people in that upper room who were praying, please hear me, with the coming of the Holy Spirit, they became the first church. That was the moment the church was born. But the church wasn't going to remain 120 or so. Each one of them, in each one of them, was this incredible power to fulfill Jesus' instruction, Jesus' commission, Jesus' strategy. In each one of them, the Holy Spirit dwelt. And within minutes, God's plan A went into action. That same day. What was God's plan A? Step number one, how to come into action. Spirit comes, fills them up. They're speaking in these languages. The people in the streets are hearing them speak in these foreign languages. And the gospel was proclaimed. Great story. Acts chapter 2, Peter 
looks outside and he sees this crowd of people that are drawn outside this building where they were, the ups, and their people are, and they're all looking up and they're listening. And because Peter's filled with the Spirit, Peter, the Spirit of God says, Peter, you have, a, you have an audience. You have people curious. They want to know what's going on here. And the people even ask, are y'all drunk? Like, and I've, I've never been drunk, but I've been around a, drunk, a lot of drunks. I have never heard that being intoxicated gives you ability, the ability to speak a language you've never heard. Now, it slurs speech. <laughs> makes you say stupid things. I've been around drunks. Maybe they're drunk. And Peter says, how can we be drunk? It's what, 9 o'clock in the morning or something? No, we're not drunk. And Peter stands up with the other disciples, the, um, the other 11, because there are now 12 of them. They've selected a new 12th. And Peter preaches about Jesus. And Peter proclaims to these Jews, and there are thousands of them. He proclaims to them that Jesus is their Messiah, and he told of Jesus' death that had just happened some 53 days earlier. So a lot of the people had heard about it. Some of them were no doubt Judeans and lived in Jerusalem, and they, they knew the story, but there's a lot of out-of-town people. Imagine it's on, we're, Peter's preaching to the bypass on July the 4th. All right, you kind of get the idea? And, and they, don't, they have not heard about Messiah, about Jesus, and about the crucifixion, perhaps. And he says, here's what happened. And, and we killed him, and God raised him from the dead. And Peter tells about that, and, and the people listen, and the Holy Spirit convicts them that Jesus indeed is the Messiah. And the, tells us there in Acts chapter 2 that 3,000, 3,000 responded in belief. We accept Jesus as our Messiah as well. The gospel was proclaimed. Secondly, every new believer was made a partner with the disciples. Did you get that? Every new believer was made a partner with the disciples. It tells us that all 3,000 who believed were then baptized that day. I tried to picture that in my mind. I've never been to a baptism of 3,000. And I, I try to picture, well, how did they do that? Now, if they were Baptists, there would have been a mile that stretched, uh, a line that probably stretched a mile or two of people standing in line waiting to be baptized. Why do you say that? Because in most Baptist churches, you know, the only person that can baptize is the pastor. And so they're waiting for poor Peter to baptize three, he would have been slam worn out. He would have had to hand it off to somebody else. I don't know that that's what happened. I think they found some water, and we know there's some water in, Beth, in, in Jerusalem. There's a couple pools that we know about where Jesus did some miracles, Siloam, Bethesda. And so, and so there were some places where there were water, and they went to the, they said, let's go, you guys go to that pool, you guys go to that pool. Split it down the middle. A through K, go to this pool. L through Z, go to that pool, however they did it, and go there, and we'll meet. And they began to baptize. And I imagine they got down and they baptized, Jamie, you're first in line, and I baptize you, Jamie. And you just take the next person in line, and you say, and I baptize, I, well, I've never done this before, but in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and you bat, and then it's kind of, kind of, it's a mass thing. Otherwise, how would you baptize 3,000? That's, that's my, me using my sanctified imagination. Right? How did they do that? 
3,000 responded in belief, and they were made partners with the disciples by being baptized. And the language is very clear that Luke uses here in Acts chapter 2, because in verse 41, he says, So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day, listen, about 3,000 were added to them. Who is them? The church. Remember, I just told you, 120, spirit comes down, boom, they become the church. Now, 3,000 are added to them. And there is a principle there, Christian, please hear me, and it's throughout the New Testament, all the epistles. There is no such place in the New Testament where a believer is not, does not become associated, connected to, partner with a local church. That's a foreign thing. And, you know, we... We kind of let people slide these days. They're Christians, but they don't want to become part of the church. Shame on them. If you're a Christian, you need to be part of the family. We need to explain that to them. Here's why. And they became part of the church. Suddenly, there aren't just 11. There aren't just 120 to carry out plan A. Now there are over 3,000 to carry out plan A, and the disciples are beginning to get it. You know what? This happens again. This could work this could work. Step three, the church went on the move. They didn't just stay there and say, well, that was fun. That was a good day. Man, 3,120 came to church that day. That was a good day last Sunday. They, the church began to move. And we have to ask the question, because I started off this morning by saying, last Sunday was a great day, wasn't it? But that's not the end. That's not where it stops. We don't look back and, and, ha and celebrate Easter Sunday 2018 for the next 10 years. We move on because the church moves on and we don't stop with what's happened. We take it and we begin to move and action happens. And we're told these 3,000 people now had a new devotion. And, and we read on in chapter 2 and it says they began to daily sit under the apostles' teaching which tells us they were learners. By the way, that's what the word disciple means, learner. They were learners. They had a new family now, and Luke calls that fellowship. They spent time together. And, and, and one reason that was so important that they spent time together, is, and they didn't know this yet, but they would soon be persecuted. We see it begin in chapter 3. They would soon be persecuted, and they needed this community of Christians. They needed the church during that time. Again, I'll say it this way. I said it a moment ago, but I'll say it this way. God never, calls, God never calls a Christian to become a lone ranger. Right? Never. We're part of a family. We need each other. It tells us, Luke goes on and says, they broke bread together, which was likely a reference to communion. They regularly had communion. They prayed together. They met in the temple and in homes, Luke says. What does that mean? Well, that means they had the large gathering, what we're doing this morning, and they had small groups, connection groups. Why is that? Because we need both. So, Plan A. Here's the deal. The church is God's plan A, which means, let me just say it another way. Next, Head Church, we are God's plan A. We are God's 
plan A. And, and being realizing that from the scripture, I don't know if this does this in your heart, but in mine, I want to be in on God's plan. Do you not? I want to be in on it. God, I want to be part of it. I want to reach the world with the message of, of salvation in Christ so that all might hear how much he loves us and them. We have, church, Christians, we have the hope of the world in Christ. I want to be part of that, don't you? Not at me or something. Don't you want to be part of that? Absolutely. In the coming weeks, Andy and I will be teaching how that happens and how we at Nags Head Church are part of it. But in order to be part of God's plan A, and some of you just nodded, I want to be part of that. In order to be part of God's plan A, a couple things have to be true. Number one, you have to know Christ as your Savior. You have to know Christ as your Savior. It's, it's very, very clear here that this wasn't just a club that anybody in Jerusalem could join. This wasn't something that, the, that they said, if you'll come forward, we'll give you a card, and you fill out the card, we'll all say amen, and you're in. These were 3,000 people who were saying what happened 53 days ago was an atrocity. What happened 53 days ago was horrible. And we're convicted and they cried out to Peter, literally, what do we do? We're guilty. We've killed the Messiah. What do we do? This is a big step for them when Peter said, believe. Make that belief public. Be baptized. Again, we believe and we teach here at Nags Head Church that baptism is your public profession of your faith. It's when you declare to everybody who's present, I believe in Jesus. He's given me new life and I want others to know about it. Only Christians, those who by faith alone in Christ are in his family. And only those can be part of the church. The Bible tells us Jesus died for the church. The Bible tells us he loves the church. He loves us as his bride. The first thing, first step to becoming part of the church is that you must have a relationship with Jesus. I have to know Christ is my savior. Then the second thing, if you want to be in on God's plan A, is you have to be a partner with the church. You have to be a partner. We use the word for our guests, we use the word partner in place of the word member. It means essentially the same thing to most people, but for us it means I have got something invested in this family. Myself, my talents, my time, my prayers, my fellowship. It's in the church that I connect with God's family. In the church I connect with God's family. And that's what happened that day. And that's what happens Every day, someone believes and is baptized and partners with the local church. By the way, we're going to have baptism next Sunday. And if you would say, I have trusted in Jesus as my Savior, I've been born again, but I've never followed him in believer's baptism. When we talk about baptism, we use the word baptism as it literally means you get dunked because it represents a burial and a resurrection. And so we're going to be having baptism. If you'd like to be in on that, let us know. Use that card that's there in your chair. Or go on to the uh, 
online and do that. But I connect with God's family in the church. We're connected. We're, we're related, church. We're no longer strangers to God. We're family with his children. By the way, do you know of any, in your neighborhood, in your acquaintances, the people you work with, do you know of any perfect families? Anybody know perfect families? Now, there are some that put on a pretty good appearance as though maybe they are perfect, but there are no such thing as perfect families, are there? And most of you realize my family's not perfect because of me, you know? <laughs> no perfect families, or there are no perfect churches as well. That's because none of us in the church, including our leaders, including me, are perfect. So here at Nags Head Church, one good thing is we don't strive for perfection. I shared with the band this morning as they wrapped up their time getting ready for, for leading us in worship. And it's kind of a, a little bit of a new experience for them today um, without uh, their, their longtime worship leader. And I said, you know, here's the deal, guys. It's not about us. Paul told the Colossians that we are, as we carry the gospel, he said, we are, we are at best jars of clay. Jars of clay. We're made out of dirt. We're not necessarily, we don't have to be pretty because the beauty of what happens here on Sunday mornings, the beauty of what they do up here is that they lead us in worship and the treasure inside of us is not us, it's Christ. I said, just get up and lead us in worship. We're not perfect. We're jars of clay. And jars of clay, by the way, everybody understands this, can be dropped, can be cracked, can be chipped, can be broken. None of us is perfect, we, but we, here's what we strive for. If we don't strive for perfection, what do we strive for? We strive for being a healthy church. That's what we strive for. I've studied the Bible, and I've taught the Bible for a long time, longer than a lot of you have been alive. I'm no expert. But one thing I've discovered in Scripture, again, I'll, I think this is the third time I've said this, it must be important is there's no such thing as a Christian who is not connected in a local church. And connection is more than just being an attender. It means much more, and we'll talk about that in this series because we're serious here about the church. You know why we're serious about the church? Because apparently Jesus is. He said some things about us. So here's what's coming in the next four weeks. Let me give you a preview. God's plan A. You're going to hear next Sunday that it's in the church. I grow in my faith. We're going to talk about discipleship, that God wants us to mature in our walk with Christ. And in a healthy church, its partners are maturing and growing. That's what we all need to be about. I grow in my faith. In the church, I serve those who follow Christ. It's in the church that I have ministry which is building up one another in Christ by using the spiritual gifts and the talents, the abilities, the passions that God has given me. Because a healthy church serves one another. Through the church, we'll hear, three weeks from now, I find ways to share Christ with the world. That the church provides us avenues and outlets and ways and teaching 
to share Christ with the world. That's evangelism. That's outreach. That's mission. Whether I go with a team or whether I'm talking to my neighbor next door, that's evangelism. Because a healthy church becomes a bridge connecting the world to Christ through evangelism. That's what a healthy church does. We just want to be a bridge that connects people with Jesus. And then the last Sunday, the heart of the church is our worship of God. Worship is what is doing simply what brings God glory, not to me. Brings glory to God, not to me. That's worship. So it's not just coming to church on Sunday morning and singing some worship songs. Worship is whatever I do in life, Paul. So whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And when we glorify God, we're worshiping him. So when you're pouring that cup of coffee this morning, those of you in our hospitality team, if you're doing that to glorify God, guess what you are doing, Lori? You poured my cup of coffee. What were you doing? You were, and you, were, you were glorifying God. You were worshiping, all right? If you were doing that for his glory, you were. That's pretty neat, isn't it, to realize that? As I live within God's plan, I become a worshiper. Worship becomes a natural byproduct of belonging and growing and sharing, serving and sharing. They all work together to glorify God in our lives and in our church. So the big question that I close with today is this. I look around and see a lot of folks. Some of you are out of town folks, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. Um, but, but are you in on God's plan A? Are you in on it? If you're a believer, but you're not yet connected with a healthy church, the Bible's pretty clear. You're missing out on something. Let's get on God's plan A. Right? Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, that that the resurrection which was followed by the ascension was not the end. That you had this great commission and you had a strategy to carry it out. You gave us this great purpose and then you empowered us with this great power, the Holy Spirit who indwells us to accomplish this incredible plan that you have for this world. And it goes on today and we know it still goes on because you haven't returned yet, Jesus. So until you do, we want to be about your business. Making disciples of all the nations. And so I pray that you'll help each one of us here this morning. There are some in this room, Father, who need to be partnered with the church. This church right here. And they know who they are. I'm not going to point them out. You know who they are, God. And so I pray that your spirit would speak within their heart right now and say to them, hey, it's time. Step up to the plate. There may be some this morning who have put their faith and trust in Christ and, and they believe, but they haven't yet followed in baptism. And this morning they're hearing, I can't be in a part on God's plan A until I've done that. And so I pray that they'll say, I'm ready to let the world know I'm a Christian. But whatever our need, whatever our next step is, I pray, God, that you'll not let us walk out of this room without making that decision this morning. Thank you for the disciples. Thank you for their encouragement to one another, their fellowship, for their courage as they faced persecution. Lord, we're their legacy. And Lord, um, I hope and pray that not only will one day we hear from our Lord, well done, Nag said church, but 
Maybe some of those guys, those 11, 12 guys will come up to us and say, hey, I heard you guys got it done. Thank you for continuing, for not quitting, for not giving up. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world. 